welcome to the world of critical care. This is our second episode on sodium physiology. We're going to be talking about the action potential. And generally, today's episode is going to be about the action potential in a neuron. And I don't want to get too in the weeds on a neuron, but we'll just do a brief overview quickly of a neuron. Remember, our dendrites receive signals. Those signals move into the soma, which is the head of our, uh, of our neuron. The signals are going to move through the soma cytosol, and it's going to move to the axon hillock. Now, remember, we have the head of our neuron. We have the dendrites, which are kind of the fingers extending off it. And then we have that long tail, and that's the axon. The axon hillock is the very beginning of our tail. We have our long tail, and that terminates in our axon terminal. The way in which we create a signal is for it to we trigger an action potential on the beginning of that axon body. So it starts at the axon hillock, and then we have a sequential line of action potentials that occur that move all the way to the axon terminal. And that is how we have neuron functioning. And of course, signaling could be negative too. So we could have inhibitory signaling as well. Now, sodium can play a critical role in this signaling process because sodium, if we can have enough positive charges, we kind of have this what's called a graded potential. If we receive enough signaling, we get that graded potential to start to push above that threshold, we can actually trigger the initial action potential that we're going to be talking about today, and that occurs at that axon hillock. So that's the gatekeeper to create an action potential. So we've had a lot of talk about an action potential. What on earth is it? Now let's remember with a cell a couple key factors. Remember that we have sodium predominantly outside the cell and that we have predominantly potassium inside the cell. Now we have two opposing forces that are important to remember. We have something called an electrochemical gradient and then we also have what we call a diffusion gradient or a concentration gradient that we want to think about. Now remember we mostly have sodium outside the cell. So for every one sodium inside a cell, we have 10 on the outside. But our cell membrane is not permeable to sodium except for when we have our sodium channels. So we have our ion sodium channels, which can open. When that happens, because we have 10 sodiums on the outside for every one sodium on the inside, sodium would naturally want to equilibrate. So if that channel opens, sodium's gonna rush in the cell to have a five on the outside to five on the inside. But in a normal rested state of a cell, that does not happen. In a normal rested state, we have 10 sodiums on the outside for one sodium on the inside, and sodium cannot freely move in between the extracellular space and the intracellular space. So we have a concentration gradient differential, and it is not in equilibrium. Potassium, similarly, has a mismatch. For every one potassium on the outside of the cell, we have 26 potassiums on the inside of the cell. This concentration gradient is even more pronounced than sodium. And so because of this, Potassium would love to get outside the cell because it wants equilibrium. 
but it can't unless the specific potassium channels open up. And so in a normal state, our potassium channels are mostly closed. I say mostly because we're going to talk about that in a minute. We also have another channel option in our cells, which is the sodium-potassium pump, which requires energy. It's going to require ATPase, and it can allow for the movement of sodium outside a cell and potassium inside a cell, but will require energy. So we, in a normal rested state, see very little ion movement in and out of the cell, unless it occurs specifically with our voltage-gated channels, so our sodium channels, our potassium channels, or through the active transport that occurs through the sodium-potassium pump. So first and foremost, we have the concentration gradients that are in play. Number two, we have an electrochemical gradient at play. Now remember, sodium and potassium are both positively charged. And so you can think of it, you say, well, we have a lot of potassium in the cell, that's positively charged. We have a lot of sodium outside the cell, that's positively charged. How can we have an electrochemical gradient? That doesn't make sense. And it's important to remember that, yes, we do have both positive charges. But what's really important to remember is when I mentioned that we have a little bit of leakage that occurs with the potassium gates. I mentioned that they're mostly closed. Potassium naturally tends to leak a tiny bit out of their gates. Those sodium gates are really locked down. Sodium doesn't typically move freely into the cell very easily. Potassium, though, because of that concentration gradient is so significant, it does tend to leak outside the cell a little bit. But with that leakage, potassium's also positively charged. And potassium really wants to get the heck out of the inner of the cell because it's such a unique concentration gradient differential, right? 1 to 26. So potassium's trying to get out the cell, and then it gets outside the cell. But the problem is positive charges are not attracted to each other. And what happens is there's so much positive charge outside the cell that that actually creates an electrochemical gradient that pushes inside the cell. So what we have is actually a very slight electrochemical gradient that creates a very small negative charge inside our cell. Now to repeat, we have a concentration gradient that is in opposition to our electrochemical gradient. And that actually keeps potassium generally in check to where it's not leaking at a significant rate out of the cell. But potassium does leak a little bit. Now, we can actually calculate this electrochemical gradient. Now, the calculation does assume what's called electroneutrality. So what I mean by electroneutrality is we've just been talking about potassium and sodium. We have other anions, so negatively charged molecules that we do need to think about. We have bicarbonate, negatively charged. 
we have things like chloride. It's negatively charged. A lot of proteins are negatively charged. We're going to assume for sake of discussion that those charges equalize and that we're really just looking at sodium and potassium. When we look at this and we calculate intracellular versus extracellular charge, there's actually a differential of about 87 millivolts. But because of the way the potassium leaks, it generally is accepted that our resting potential is negative eight, is about negative 70 millivolts inside the cell. So it is ever so slightly negative inside the cell. Now, this is our resting membrane potential. How do we trigger an action potential? This is triggered by sodium, and specifically our sodium channels. When the sodium channels open up, so the sodium ion channels, the sodium, because of the concentration gradient, will naturally rush into the cell. And we have a lot of these gates. So a lot of these gates suddenly open and the sodium rushes into the cell. It is very fast. And that sudden change in the electrochemical gradient. So our concentration gradient overwhelms our electrochemical gradient and we have a depolarization. What that means is what was once negative inside our cell is now positive. And so that is what we refer to as depolarization. Now we have an inversion so that at this point, our action potential is quote unquote triggered. And we move to where the inside of the cell is about 45 millivolts positive. Now at this point, what we have is a phase called repolarization. So at this point, our sodium channels are going to start to close and we open up our potassium channels. Now in this phase, our potassium is now going to want to rush out of the cell for two reasons. One, we have that profound concentration gradient. Also, potassium's positively charged and there's a whole bunch of positive charge that just rushed in the cell. So it wants to move out of the cell and also, the potassium is, remember, for one potassium outside the cell, we have 26 inside the cell. And so the potassium will now rush out of the cell. Now at this point, what we want to do is return back to our resting potential. Now we've had a lot of sodium rush in the cell. It triggers that depolarization. And so we now are positively charged, but we need to return back to our negative charge. And so a few things happen. When we have sodium moving back out of our cell, our potassium channels open, and they're going to help move potassium out of the cell to return back to a negative charge. But we have a period of time what we really refer to as hyperpolarization. And so during hyperpolarization, we really start to see the effect of the sodium-potassium pump, that, that sodium-potassium ATPase. And this requires energy because we need to restore back to our normal resting potential. But what we need to do is move that sodium out and we need to bring sodium back into the cell. And so we use ATP, which is going to get converted to ADP. And that energy basically allows for the protein. We can think of it basically as facing inwards. This is a, not the greatest example, but facing inwards. 
three sodiums are going to attach to the protein. The protein is going to use energy. It's going to have a conformational change. So it's going to change so that those sodiums are now facing outside. They can be released and we're going to able to then bind to potassiums. We're going to able to move two potassiums into the cell. Now this requires energy because it's not, it's not thermodynamically sound, right? It doesn't make sense. Why would we move against a concentration gradient? It doesn't make any sense, right? And that's why it requires energy to do this, to restore our cell to its normal resting potential. But when we're doing this, we tend to have what's called the uh, hyperpolarization, meaning in this phase, we actually go even more negative than the negative 70 for a brief period of time until we can get back to our resting potential of negative 70 millivolts. Now, two things that I think are worth bringing up. There is a specific refractory period in this time. And what this means is when this is done, our sodium channels are locked down. So our sodium channels will not be able to open up instantaneously to re-trigger another action potential. And this is important because remember, this happens in a series of reactions down our axon. If we didn't have a refractory period, we could move both directions of an axon. But because we have a refractory period, the actual sudden change in sodium moving into the cell, triggering our action potential, actually is what will then trigger this to occur in the cell next to it and in the cell next to it and so forth and so on down our axon. But because once one cell has done this, there's a refractory period, it does not trigger the reaction in both directions. And so this is how we're able to have directionality in our action potentials. Now, what I think is interesting too about this process is that we see the importance of maintaining a normal electrolyte levels. And so if we have either elevated electrolyte levels, so elevated sodium above normal or below normal, that affects our concentration gradient. But also because sodium is positively charged, that can affect our electrochemical gradient, which can greatly affect the signaling or the action potential on our neuron. So as a brief overview, we'll talk about the action potential here one last time. So remember, we have a diffusive gradient difference, right? So we have one sodium inside the cell for every 10 sodiums outside the cell. So sodium wants to move in the cell. We have... 26 potassiums inside the cell for every one potassium outside. So potassium wants to move out. So we naturally have where they want to go, but they can't leave the cell because that phospholipid bilayer is impermeable to these ions moving unless they can move through the voltage-gated ion channels or through the active transport that can occur through the sodium-potassium pump. Now, the sodium channels are typically locked down, but potassium channels do leak a little bit, and that little bit of leaking of potassium outside the cell leads to the slight negative charge inside our cell of negative 70 millivolts. That's our resting potential. 
an action potential gets triggered when we're able to, typically with those graded potentials leading to the point where sodium is able to trigger our sodium channels opening up, sodium rushes into the cell. So we now go from negative 70 millivolts to positive 45 millivolts. So at this point now, we of course have depolarized. The polars have, the polarity has flipped in essence. Now at this point, we need to start to move back to our normal resting potential. So how do we do this? Well, our potassium channels open up. So those ion gated potassium channels open up. Potassium starts to move out of the cell, right? Because the cell's now super positive on the inside, the potassium wants to get outside the cell too because there's very little potassium out and our sodium channels close. Now we need to move back to the resting potential, but at this point in time, we're still struggling to get back because we're moving against our gradients. And so that's where we use energy to accomplish this. And so we use the sodium potassium pump which requires ATP. So we on the inside are taking three sodiums. We use uh, ATP goes to ADP. So we use that phosphate and we're able to then move two, so potass or two potassiums in the cell, three outside the cell, and that helps restore our gradient. But for a little bit of time, we actually have hyperpolarization in this phase. So we actually are like negative 90 millivolts for a little bit. And then we finally return back to our normal state where we're back at negative 70 millivolts. And now what's unique too is that those sodium channels actually are closed down for a little bit. They can't be reopened. And so that helps with the neuron in particular, make sure that the cell that's already had an action potential cannot instantaneously have another one. So that drives that action potential in a specific direction, which is from the soma to that axon hillock, it moves it down the axon to the axon terminal. And that's how from a neurological standpoint with our neurons, we see sodium playing a critical role in their function. Now, this episode talked about the neuron. The following episode will be specifically looking at the cardiomyocytes and how their action potentials work. And there's a lot of similarity, but there's some key differences. And we're going to see that in the following episode. We're also going to have a little bit of a discussion, too. We're going to start bringing in the discussion of calcium, and we're going to talk about chloride as well and how they play a critical role in the cardiac myocyte action potential. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.